Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ in the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Okay, I got a question for you guys. Okay. If you had to describe yourself as a color, what color would you be? Okay. So this is different. Go go deep into your soul. Okay. Because this is a different question you. than what's your favorite color. This is not, not what's your favorite what color. color. Are you? Yes. Okay. Like if we had been sitting at a coffee shop mm, and we chit chatted, and then all of a sudden I was like, "How's your inner being? Like, yeah, your soul. What like, color are you? Like, what's your aura? Is this the same kind of question? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, Christy. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, what color would you be? Okay. Uh, I have to think. I have to go deep into my soul. I've answered already. Deep. What? You didn't answer? Oh, I totally did. Yep. Do you just buy by silence? You're not, you're just. No, no I. Boycotting uh, my you question? asked the question, there was a beat, and then I answered the question. You both started talking, and about a minute and a half later, you were like, wait, did you answer? <laughs> wow, we're going to need to re listen. Yeah, run so back I the can, tape, listener. Yep. What mm-hmm. is it? It's. <laughs> okay, tell us. I'm so sorry. Good morning. How are you? Tell Good. me your color. Puce. <laughs> puce. Puce. Tell us why you're puce. Because I feel like most people don't know what puce is or understand <laughs> it. <laughs> and uh, kind of it's, it. You're, you're willing to believe it's a color, barely, uh-huh. yeah. but you have no idea what kind of color it is. Yeah. And you don't know if you've ever seen it before. Okay. What... Uh, what 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 would you guess? What kind of color do you, would you guess puce is, Christy? I I would guess silvery gray blue. Silvery gray <laughs> blue. I like how confident. I uh, I I would guess like a just like a brown muck kind of color. Oh. Uh, but I looked it up because you guys want to know what puce is. Yeah, tell us. It um, is. First of all, can we uh-huh. can we just point out the irony that. Uh, Strinky is about to Ben Splain puce to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I ha- he's like, I happen to know what Matt just said. Well, I just, I looked it up. I was curious. I thought what our color? listeners might be curious as well. They, they are, are probably very curious. Yeah. What's the color? If they're still listening. If you mix purple and brown, you get puce. Oh. Which is a close relative of burnt sienna. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very clear. Thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> the color's name is uh, French for the word flea. Oh, yeah. Okay. A puce. That's. I guess that's how Matt is feeling today. Mm-hmm. Puce. That's his soul. The okay. color of his soul is puce. <laughs> yeah. And Matt, do you have a color? Are you uh, referring to me? Yes, puce. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I've had to say this three times now. 
<laughs> right. And Matt, I don't think we've heard from you yet. There's <laughs> uh, any question about why Matt, I wait, feel is Matt on this? I think we understand yeah. now why. Is Matt on this podcast yet? Is I'm Matt just, here? Is Matt I'm in the so room? sorry. Listen, I know your color is puce. Ben, <sighs> know, do you have yeah. a color? Um... He closed his eyes. I Listen have to take some deep breaths. Mm -hmm. Okay. What color am I? How do you feel? Like? I don't really know. I <laughs> I like I find myself drawn to orange, which makes me wonder. Like just in general in life, I, okay. I'm attracted to the color orange. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like I saw a Baltimore Oriole on vacation, and I was like, it's a good looking bird, you know, because they're mm -hmm. orange. Um, so I don't know. Orange is one of my favorite colors. Maybe maybe my soul is orange. Like deep down, maybe like the true, my true self is yep. orange and it's trying to get out through making me attracted to orange things. Maybe that's okay. it. I don't, okay. I don't know why. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ben? Yeah? Have you ever heard of ornithophilia? Uh, no. Uh, well, your uh, little anecdote about Orioles uh, had mm -hmm. me look it up. Ornithophilia is a condition that is um, characterized by a sexual attraction to birds. Mm, so yeah, maybe it, maybe that. it wasn't uh, the orange that you were interested in. Maybe you're an. We are digressing. Maybe people. you're an ornithophiliac. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Listen, listeners. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, this was. This meant is to also be like why a... Ben has Deb dress up as Big Bird for every Halloween. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He's just silent. Yeah, I just I don't know what happened just now. So. Oh my goodness! Well, um, there you have it, folks. I don't know what color you are, but mm. welcome to the Gravity you? Leadership Podcast, Christy. Christy, what color are you? I'm Puce. Ben is an ornithophiliac. How about you? I think right now I'm a I'm a light yellow. Mm. Light yellow. Mm. I, I've been, I've missed you guys. Um, yeah. I don't know if our listeners know this, but like I was off for several weeks working on school, kind of, I say yeah. working, I should say grueling. I don't know. Oh. But um, grinding. Yeah, grinding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not over, but like the, the chunk of stuff that I needed to do before my research started is over. And so mm. I am excited to nice. have fall start and, Kids are going back to school soon and all the stuff. Great. So yeah. that's great. Yeah. Light yellow. That that uh that that checks out. Yeah. So yeah. For you in I general, I think. I think about that a lot with you, Christy. Yeah. Light yellow. Yeah. Light yellow. Anyway. I mean it is yeah. the color of your hair as it's well. True. So listeners may not know that, but this is true. Yeah. Light yellow hair, pink headphones. Yeah. Here we it's are. Part of the vibe. <laughs> it's interesting hey. that we're doing this with colors. Uh, because there's nothing um, scientific about any of this, you know. There's no nope. color science, but we did talk to a scientist today for the podcast, so oh, I wonder right, what he yeah. what he would think about this conversation. Yeah, and how it relates to string theory, which uh, this guy's a string theorist. It was all I could do to not talk to Tom Rodelius about string theory. I, I may even said it a few times, like I just mm -hmm. kind of want to talk to about theoretical physics, uh, but. <laughs> We we aren't a theoretical physics podcast, so we, we that's yeah. not what we do. We had to chasten ourselves. Yeah. But anyway, this conversation is great. We talked about um, the way that his scientific research led him into faith. I know some of our listeners have experienced 
maybe the opposite journey, maybe being a Christian and science uh, being a threat or a way of exiting the faith or mm. even even a challenge too. So I thought this is an interesting journey and um, it was a great conversation. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it was. It was. All right. We'll, uh, we'll get into it. Oh, wait, we were going to talk about though your research, Christy. Oh, yeah. Talking about science. Talking about uh, science. I'm getting my doctorate of ministry uh-huh. and my research project is starting September 7. It's on uh, emotional wholeness. Basically, hmm. does growing your emotional intelligence increase your perceived intimacy with God? And if our listeners are interested, I'm um, doing a three-month cohort for free. You have to sign your life away saying I can use you as a study, though. Um, <laughs> but basically, yeah. we're meeting every Thursday evening from 7.30 to 9, Mountain Standard Time. So it's late for those Eastern Standard people. Yeah. But maybe your kids will be in bed and whatever. You maybe can join you stay us. up late, you know, yeah. looking at Instagram reels and you like you can just be in a cohort instead. That's right. Yeah. And we can talk about emotions and how do we notice, name, and navigate our emotions for yeah. kingdom emotions. So That's great. we will put the link in the in the show notes. And if you're interested, um, sign up. We, I'd love to have you. Yeah. That, um, yeah. That's great. So that's starting in a month, in about a month from this, when yeah. this uh, airs. So, yep. all right. Well, we'll talk more about it, uh, listeners. And if you have any questions, if you have any questions about it, you can just email Christy. Directly. That's right. How about that? If you're not, if you're not in a place where you can look at the show notes, just, yeah, just uh, email, email Christy at gravityleadership.com. All right. Awesome. Let's get into this interview with Tom. Eh? Sounds Let's good. Do it. Professor Tom Rodelius joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He completed his undergrad work at Cornell, earned a doctorate in physics at Harvard, and has conducted postdoctoral research at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey. Currently, he's a postdoctoral researcher in theoretical physics at University of California, Berkeley. Tom will begin a faculty position at Durham University in the UK in the fall of 2023, and his research focuses on string theory, quantum field theory, and early universe cosmology. He's a man of faith. Christian faith is what we're going to talk about today, how he found faith as a scientist. And he's an avid sports fan, frequently uh, requested to speak on topics related to science and faith. And he is on the board of the Memelodi Initiative, a tutoring organization based in Memelodi, South Africa. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, Tom, uh, you wrote a book called Chasing Proof, Finding Faith, A Young Scientist's Search for Truth in a World of uh, Uncertainty. I don't know if we've actually tackled this, Ben, yet on the podcast, but um, obviously this tension or perceived conflict between science Mm. and Christianity or uh, science and religion is hundreds of years old now. Um, Tell us a bit about your journey from being a man of science to being a man of science and faith? Yeah. So, um, so I was raised in a very, uh, very loving, very scientific, but, but also very non-religious family. Um, growing up, like I never went to church and never read the Bible. And most of what I knew about religion 
came from cartoons, honestly. Um, so I Wait, which cartoons like 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 Veggie Tales mainly uh, mainly The Simpsons. Yeah, there was a lot of like <laughs> yes, Reverend Lovejoy. Yeah, a lot of that's yeah, true. Right, right. Reverend Lovejoy. Yeah, it's like I I think I probably could have named at least like eight of the ten commandments just from just from The Simpsons. Uh, oh, but yeah, so the. Yeah, so I guess uh, I went off to, to college. I have a twin brother, and uh, he went to college at Northwestern. I went to Cornell, as you said. And his freshman year at Northwestern, my brother uh, met a guy on his floor named Matt, who was probably like the first really serious thinking Christian that mm-hmm. either of us had ever met and talked to. Um, so to make a long story short, my, my brother Steve came to faith through conversations with Matt, uh, and he wanted me to 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 you know to become a Christian as well. And so he, um, he tried to share a copy of the Bible with me, a copy, uh, some, some other books about Christianity. And I told him, look, Steve, I have trouble finding time to read books that I want to read, much less time to read books that I don't want to read. Like that's, that's just where I was at with, with, yeah. with religion, with faith. It just felt like there were other things that were more important to me at the time, like school and sports and trying to make the most of my time in college. And, um, and yeah, faith just didn't seem, religion didn't seem that important to me. Um, so, uh, nonetheless, I, I started talking with Steve. We started having conversations. Um, he eventually got me to start reading the, uh, the Bible, the New Testament. He got me to start reading books. I, start, I read some books arguing for Christianity. I read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins arguing against Christianity. Yeah. Um, and I think as, as I learned more, I, I like kind of started to find it more and more plausible um, I think a lot of the, the misconceptions that I'd had about Christianity in, in particular and, and religion in general um, started to be addressed. Hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, eventually I kind of came to this point and, uh, where, I mean, the, the big thing for me was, was getting over the hump of kind of that, that last step of this is going from this is plausible to this is something that I actually need. This is something that I actually should devote my life to. Um, but a lot of it came out of those conversations with my twin brother. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, well let's maybe then pivot to, uh, how you came into being interested in your particular area of science. We talked about string theory and, and quantum field theory. How did you, uh, choose that area of study? What appealed to you about it? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing um, that kind of attracted me to, to string theory was the fact that it is very theoretical. Um, and as a college student, I was really good at like the theory classes, math classes, and I was terrible at anything related to experimental physics. Uh, so, so part of it was just kind of a, it fit my skill set a lot better yeah. um, than other areas of, of science would have. Um, but I guess another thing, you know, coming to faith in college, um, a lot of that journey was about like answering, tackling these, like the big questions of meaning and purpose Um, questions that before I just, for whatever reason, had never really thought too much about. Um, And so kind of, I I think it came, what came out of that was just a a deeper desire to know like the universe and it's at its most fundamental. And I think that there are different approaches to that. Like I could have, and I thought about, you know, should I go to like seminary or something? Uh, Should I study philosophy? But I think with my skill set, like the the question that to me really I thought was interesting and captivated me is, is what are the fundamental laws of nature? 
And so I think that that's something that's appealing to me about string theory. You know, there's lots of fields out there, like academic fields, including string theory, that that don't really have a ton of direct application. Like, we're, I'm not about to like figure out a better way to like refrigerate food or like <laughs> cure cancer or something like that, right? Um, so there are a lot of there are a lot of fields like this that are kind of more academic in in focus that don't have such direct applicability. And of those, I, I think that th- this question of what are the what are the fundamental laws of nature is something that was really is really like interesting to me. It really like gets into mm. the nature of reality at, at its deepest levels, and that that's something I think that also that desire to know that is something that came out of my my journey to faith. That, that also like just wanting to understand what is this universe that we're a part of and how does it work. And now a word from a sponsor. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Yeah, I, I'm almost afraid to ask this question because you are an actual theoretical physicist and I've, I've read popular books on quantum uh-huh. theory and that kind of thing yeah. and, and utterly, utterly fascinated with, you know, the implications. But I've also, like, I've also found it helpful to kind of apply this to um, my faith or my, um, at least my, like, my metaphysic, you know? Like when I, when I think about what it means, for example, for God to be omnipresent, I think there's some super interesting implications as far as I understand, you know, in terms of, you know, quantum theory and that kind of thing. Um, and I, one of the things um, that I've heard people do is kind of make this distinction between a platonic or an Aristotelian worldview mm-hmm. and a quantum mm-hmm. worldview. Um, and I wonder, do you think that's a helpful distinction to make? Um, or how would you, how would you talk about the difference between those two things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, I was actually, I've just been kind of like reading up on the, on the classics. There are some classic lecture notes on quantum um, mechanics and quantum information theory by, um, by John Preskill. And in one part, he kind of lays out this, um, you know, like quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics compared to classical mechanics comes with like a very different understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, as, and as Preskill says, there's kind of two ways that you can go with it, like a, a platonic kind of like, Everything that we see in quantum mechanics, the wave function, uh, all of this stuff is like ac- actually real. It actually exists. Um, there's actually, and then there's another um, approach, which uh, I think he calls the positivist approach, which is that quantum mechanics isn't so much telling us how nature is. It, it's really t- uh, sort of quantifying our ignorance of, about nature. It's telling us what. It's, it's measuring what, what can we say about nature um, as opposed to how nature actually is. Um, and I think that there definitely is like, I mean, I think that if I were an atheist, um, I would probably subscribe more to the like platonic approach, which is that there are these, you know, there are these laws of nature, these laws of quantum mechanics, and they, they don't just describe reality. They actually define reality. Um, I think though, as a theist, I think it makes more sense to take more of the, the positivist approach, which is that, um, you know, the laws of nature, yes, they work really well, right? I mean, I, I love science. Science is great. Science works. But science isn't sort of like the laws of nature aren't all that exist, right? That, mm. that somehow these laws of nature are something that's, that are describing a universe which God has created, which is actually something more. And, and what I would mm. say that, th- that more thing is, is that our universe is actually really some sort of cosmic narrative, some sort of story in which you and I are a part in which, which Jesus is like the hero in which his resurrection is the climax. And so I think that, um, yeah, I think with, 
like what I think what Preskill is getting at is, is something that is deeper. It has like a deeper theological truth, which is how we approach science and how we understand like the relation of these, the relationship between these equations and the world we live in. I think that that's something that also very much is correlated with our understanding of, of what is the meaning and purpose of, of existence. Is there a God or is this just some mathematical structure that just happens to exist for no reason? Yeah. Yeah. Well, following on from that, um, um, by the way, listening, listening to you talk about that stuff is how I kind of feel reading these books that I've read on quantum theory, where I'm like, uh-huh. I think I got 60% of that. I think yeah. I got 60% <laughs> yeah. of that. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But you, it's nothing to do with you. It's just, uh, I know that these are uh, difficult concepts to, to make uh, practical for people who haven't done all the reading, right? Um, yeah, it's so really, I mean, it's really hard to understand quantum mechanics without having like done the math. I think it like huh. the math really like clarifies so much of it. Um, huh. But yeah. yeah, well, I can do the best. I, I'll do the best I can with words here. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you're, you're fine. It was more uh, just comment yeah. on me. Um, so I, um, I wonder maybe following on from that, then you mentioned, you mentioned maybe looking at our universe as a cosmic narrative. Mm-hmm. What other insights or perspectives do you think that a, a quantum or a string way of seeing reality offer us as we, as people of faith who are not trained, you know, in physics, as we look at Jesus or as we look at the scriptures, um, I don't know, what are, what are some of the things that, um, this way of seeing reality helps us with or helps us see? Yeah. So I'll first, I'll say, I think a a way that isn't maybe so helpful. And then I'll share a way that I think is more helpful. So I, I think I, um, I tend to be very hesitant with some of the, um, like, uh, kind of the, the attempts to, be able to explain everything uh, in uh, in the Bible in in a like purely scientific way, yeah. or conversely, ways to kind of read the Bible into into science. Um, for instance, I'm not going to say who this was by, but I read <laughs> something one time by someone suggesting that the way that Jesus uh, so string theory famously has like extra dimensions, mm-hmm. um, and this this author suggested that maybe the way that Jesus got out of the, the, to, the tomb, right, with the stone, was that uh, he, like, rotated into the extra dimensions of string theory. Right. Uh, which, I mean, y- yes, if there, when there are other, direc- other dimensions, you can, like, go around things that you couldn't right. if there's right. only one dimension, if there are fewer dimensions. But, but I still think that that's, like, a very misguided way to understand the resurrection. Like, what Jesus did was a miracle. Like it violates the laws of physics. And that's the point of it. That's the point of what, what God is doing through that is he's doing something miraculous that is actually miraculous. Um, and I think it's also, you know, I think it can be dangerous to try to, um, you know, to try to like read through um, say the first chapter of Genesis and try to make everything kind of match, match up with what modern science is telling us. Because right. I think that in large part, the scriptures, uh, are answering different questions than what science is, is asking uh, mm-hmm. when we start to approach like the moment of creation. Um, so I think that, so that, that is one area where I, I personally would, would kind of, kind of caution trying to like take, take faith and science and try to, to use them to understand each other's domains. Um, when I think in, in large part, not completely, but in, in, in large part, you know, these are kind of answering different questions. Now, one thing that I do think is really like helpful in terms of how, um, you know, understanding uh, quantum mechanics, understanding 
um, string theory. I, th I think one thing that's been helpful from that uh, is that I've come to um, maybe recognize and understand and appreciate just that, like, just the, the mystery of nature, that, that our universe is mm -hmm. a mysterious place, that there are lots of cases in science, you know, where, where we kind of just run into a wall of ignorance. Um, and in fact, I think that's where, that's where most scientific research takes place, right? It's kind of at that frontier of, of mystery where it's like, okay, well, we understand these things pretty well, but now there's all this other stuff we don't understand. For, for me personally, that's like the big bang, right? Uh, like that's something that I would love. To, a lot of my research deals with like the earliest moments after the big bang. And yet like there comes a point where we re really just understand so little. Yeah. And, and yet, right. I can, as a physicist, I can say, well, man, you know, we really don't understand the big bang so well, but that's not going to make me just dismiss the rest of cosmology. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of really good stuff in cosmology ever since the big bang, but here there's some mystery. And I think that that kind of is the same with a lot of the questions I, I have about faith, where, yes, you know, there's some mysteries of, like, I don't know exactly how, uh, like, predestination and free will go together and how those two things fit. Um, but the fact that there's some mystery there, to me, doesn't, like, therefore ruin the rest of, of, my, of faith, of, of Christianity, in the same way that ignorance about the Big Bang doesn't ruin the rest of cosmology. So I think that's something that I've really gotten from from being a scientist is coming to understand where when is mystery okay? You know, when when is mystery allowed and can I just be okay with some amount of uncertainty? Yeah. Yeah, you know, as as I hear you talk Tom, I, I think back I was raised in the 80s, right, with an Xer and um you know, in, in science books, I was taught an atom. There was no, uh, I don't even know what it's called, like a gas field, like a proton field. There was none of that. It was just this, uh, like, 1974 picture of what an atom looked like, right? A nucleus. Okay. And then yeah. you had these moons orbiting around a planet, right? <clears throat> and I, I got the sense as a kid that science was about answering all the questions to why things are the way they are. And, and, and I got this sense, I don't know if it was wrong, but in the 80s, for me, and how I learned science was, we pretty much know everything, right? Now, now Einstein uh -huh. couldn't figure out his whole general relativity thing. He had some questions unanswered. But we pretty much know how everything works. And what, I'm, what strikes me about how you're talking about this mm -hmm. is that, like, the deeper and the more into, like, the uh, complexities of science that you've gotten, the more mysterious the nature mm -hmm. is and creation is. Not the more, like, you have it mastered. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I should say, I think that what you're describing is the situation in the 80s was, was actually more like the situation in, like, the 20s or something, but it maybe <laughs> took a while for that to, like, bleed into the, like, public, yes. uh, like, public sphere. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you go back, like, there's kind of, the, you know, b before the discovery of quantum mechanics, as I understand it, I'm not the, I'm not the, like, world expert on the history of science, but as I understand it, you know, before quantum mechanics... It's kind of like, well, look, we, we understand everything. We have Newton's laws, like force, force equals mass times acceleration. And so from here on out, it's just kind of measuring the fundamental constants with greater and greater precision. And we um, get telescopes and microscopes, and that, that, that'll give us access to everything yeah, we can. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, like the laws of nature, got them, just need to understand like the, the little minute details. Um, but then quantum mechanics comes out, and it completely revolutionizes how we understand um, yeah. Just nature, rea realities. Um, and same thing I w with like general relativity, you know, um, Einstein's theory of gravity. 
really different way of, of understanding the universe. And, yeah. and so I think that, yeah, like th- that is something that, that nowadays, you know, uh, I think putting together quantum mechanics and, and gravity has led us into this study of string theory and it, string theory is just so complicated. I mean, the, it's like the, the mathematics behind it, there's just so much of it that we don't understand uh, as of today. And so, yeah, I, I think it's actually pretty remarkable where, um, you know, if you had a physicist from today talking to someone from the 1910s, I think the person from the 1910s, or maybe even a little bit earlier, you know, late, late 1800s, would have thought that they understood a lot more, yeah. uh, like a, a very higher percentage of all there is to understand. And now I think something that we've really learned in, in physics is that we actually understand so little of the, you know, of nature yeah. and it's most fundamental. Yeah. Ben, what strikes me, Ben, as I'm listening to this, um, and I'd love it if you, you'd comment, Ben, um, is, is how a lot of people who go through a faith crisis yeah. practice their Christian faith kind of like a scientist yeah. from 1890. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what happens is when suffering happens in the world or questions are unanswered or God doesn't do what they want him to do, or et cetera, et cetera, it throws everything into this um, yeah. proton cloud. <laughs> like, <laughs> do, do, you know, does God yeah. exist? Yeah. Right. You know? Right. And, right. and I, and I wonder, I wonder um, if, if a lot of people when they're having a faith crisis aren't actually just having a metaphysical crisis. Like mm. God doesn't work like this closed system mm-hmm. of rules and laws like a cosmic vending machine. And, and if God isn't a cosmic vending machine, then how can I even be a Christian? Right. Yeah. I think, um, I, I, I see a, a ton of overlap there. I think, um, I think that's, um, definitely what I've seen that I think people, I mean, it, it would be akin to, I mean, the kind of the joke that I thought of Tom, when you were talking about how, wow, I, we really don't know much about the big bang. Um, like it would be akin to somebody finding out that it's like, man, the big bang is really mysterious. Uh, and we don't know what we thought we knew about it. And then saying, I guess science is a fraud. I guess it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. Where it's like, well, that, you know, that's not <laughs> yeah. necessarily the obvious conclusion. It just means uh, that we can keep growing and keep learning mm-hmm. and kind of like the, the universe still exists. Right. And we can still observe it and we can still look at it. And I, I wonder if that would free some people from, like a faith crisis where they, and I think this, this does lead people into, I mean, these faith crises are probably necessary. There's some kind of deconstruction is kind of the um, trendy word. Well, it was last month, you know, um, but like that, that I think is a process that some people have to, cause they have to kind of untangle their faith from this sort of template of certainty that they thought they had, um, which is very similar to, it sounds like what science has had to do in the last hundred years or so. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really interesting um, analogy. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, and I know for me, I've I've like had I've gone through those periods as well. You know, of mm. of faith. I don't like the word deconstruction because I think it can mean so many different things. Um, yeah, but but really, those periods of like kind of intense doubt, um, where mm. I kind of really yeah had to rethink what is you know what what is the foundation of my faith and um, and at least I'd like to think kind of in, in hindsight now looking back that those, that those were like very positive things for how I understand um, for God to be and for, for how, what I understand Christianity to be. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. you're, you're, you bring up some really interesting comparisons between that yeah. and, and what's happened with physics over the last yeah. 150 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. 
I do think that would be a gift to many of our listeners if they could find a way into deeper mystery, less things being nailed down, and that doesn't equal less faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But would be, uh, I think a lot of people long to to be in that, I don't know, headspace or that mm-hmm. kind of, um, mm-hmm. uh, having that kind of attribute. And so um, it's one mm-hmm. of the things your book does well. But, but your book also addresses some really I think questions that still feel weighty for people, right? Some mm-hmm. of the um, questions that maybe uh, for whatever reason just won't go away, right? This this yeah. whole, you brought up earlier like this, um, this sort of archetypal or ancient disagreement between creation and evolution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could you speak a bit to that? I know a lot of people grew up seeing these as incompatible, but how do you, how do you hold them together? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, building off of what I was saying before, I think that, um, kind of what it, what it really comes down to is how, what do we understand the Bible and what, what is it trying to tell us? Um, what do we understand is like the role of, of faith in general. And I think that again, not, this isn't maybe completely correct, but I think for the most part, science does a good job of telling us uh, about mechanisms, about how, how things work, how things have come to be. I think faith does a better job of, of telling us about meaning and purpose. And uh, I think that a, a lot of the biggest problems um, have come when, uh, you know, when people try to use one of them to kind of under, understand the other. Like when people try to use science to, to understand meaning and purpose, that's where like the eugenics movements uh, came out of, right? Yeah. Um, wow is this idea that like, yeah, Darwinism that, you know, we should apply that to how we do ethics. Um, and on the other hand side of things, um, maybe not quite as devastating, but, but still I think what can be a, ch- a problem is, is when people want to try to, um, you know, take faith and, and use it to answer all of the questions that, uh, about mechanisms, about how things right. work that I think is, is really is more of the realm of, of science. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, for me, it's, it's kind of possible to say, look at like the first chapter of Genesis and try to read it, not as like a science textbook that's organized like chronologically telling us God first, God did this, then God did that, then God mm-hmm. did this, but, but more as like a, a literary, literary framework in which God creates like the domains on days one to three, and he fills those domains with their inhabitants in days four to six. And it's really telling us less about the particular mechanisms that God used to create. Right. And it's telling us more about, you know, what is, what is the meaning and purpose of all of it? And most mm-hmm. of all, the, the, the meaning is that, that God has created, right? That God has created with a purpose that we aren't just here by accident. accident. There's not just like some great battle between good and evil and then somehow we pop out. Um, right. And I think that that's really the, the key lesson. Uh, yeah. So it's, I guess it's the question is what are the, when, it, when approaching, you know, the Bible is, is, Ask, being able to ask it the right questions the same way that when I you know, approach science, I better ask it the right questions. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence. 
and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. As you were talking, I just was remembering um, somebody who was part of a church I was part of a long time ago, who this was kind of his hobby horse is trying to, he was like an answers in Genesis guy. Um, you know that, you know that ministry? Ken, yeah. Ken yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you, you refused to name names earlier. I just named one. Um, but anyway, but he, he was a big uh, fan and, and his view of the scriptures and of faith, his, his view of faith was very much a house of cards built on a literal scientific interpretation of Genesis one. And he was just, he, he believed with his whole heart, no matter how many conversations we had, he believed with his whole heart that if, if you, if you take that out, if you take that, that piece out, if you don't interpret Genesis one as a literal scientific description of the mechanics of how the universe came to be 6,000 years ago, then the whole thing, the whole thing falls apart. And like the scriptures are worthless and um, you can't believe in the resurrection anymore. And it just didn't make any sense to me, but I, you know, I don't even know if there's a question in here for you, Tom. I'm just marveling, <laughs> yeah. I guess. So. Yeah, well, that 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 reminds me of, of a story, I think, that was maybe clo- related and, and relevant for my own journey. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I became a Christian, sophomore, uh, my sophomore year of college, um, the next semester immediately, I, I took this course on the New Testament um, at Cornell. And like a lot of... Um, uh, you know, New, New Testament classes at more, uh, like, I don't know, secular institutions, I guess. Sure. Um, the, you know, a lot of the course is kind of like, oh, the, you know, you, you, this is wrong and this is wrong and, you know, miracles are impossible and sort right. th- that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, taking that class immediately after I'd come to faith, um, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, some, my brother was like, you know, he was like a little concerned, like, is this going to like ruin your faith? And, and it didn't actually, it didn't even kind of come close, but what it did is it kind of, it kind of shaped my faith uh, in the way I understand it. Kind of like what we were talking before, you know, not like a total deconstruction of like, I'm going to leave the faith, but kind of like, okay, reevaluating what is the priority here? Because, yeah. you know, the, 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 the uh, teacher might have, you know, this explanation of why, um, you know, why Paul, why these books weren't actually written by Paul, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, look, I, I'm a, I'm a sophomore. I, I just <laughs> read the Bible for the first time. I, I'm not going to be able to argue, right? That no, actually, Paul did write all these books. Right. Um, like uh, may, maybe he did. Probably other other people have better arguments, but I, I'm not going to be able to make that. And, and what I realized is pretty quickly, pretty early on, like that that can't be the linchpin of my faith. You know, like mm-hmm. that I would have to win all of these arguments about every little thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, it was kind of like, well, you know what? I feel like I've had this experience of God. Like, I feel like I've experienced the Holy spirit and, and I believe in the resurrection. Like, I, I think that the evidence for that is strong. Um, and so it's kind of like, well, you know, I ask myself, is, is that enough that I should be following Jesus if I have experienced God and if I believe in the resurrection? And I think the answer is an obvious. Yes. I mean, like if, <laughs> right. if someone literally rose yeah. from the dead, right. And we're going to be like, yeah. yeah, well, I don't know about the Genesis stuff, you know? I mean, <laughs> 
right? So, so yeah. for me, I think yeah. that that was important in shaping the priorities. Like, and, and you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that it's like unimportant. The question of which sure. books Paul wrote, it's not unimportant how we understand Genesis. And and so yeah, I mean, I've you know, I have a lot of respect for the people who argue for that stuff. I I, I have respect for like you know the, for the creationist crowd who who will try to defend, um, you know, like, like a literal interpretation of Genesis. Um, but to me, the question is, is that like necessary? Is that like the key and crucial part of, of the faith? Right. And, and so for me, you know, I think from pretty early on in my faith journey, it was like, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what are the things that really matter. And the things that really matter to me is that like God exists, Jesus is risen and that we can like have life through him. So. Yeah. yeah. That's great. It's well said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tom. Uh, maybe we have time for one more. I think um, I remember we had a guy named Craig Keener on the podcast. He's a professor at Asbury, mm-hmm. um, and he's written uh, two books on miracles. I don't know if you've seen those books, I, where he, I've heard good things about them, but I've never actually read them. Yeah, yeah. The, one is a two uh, two book compendium, like sixteen hundred pages, and another one is a he wanted to write a condensed version of this huge academic work. But he said he got so many more miracle stories between the academic work and the popular <laughs> book that the popular book is 85% new material. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. uh-huh. And it's basically just him reporting miracle after miracle after miracle throughout history and even today of things that – and he has like some rubrics or some protocols about what constitutes a miracle or not. I'm wondering from your perspective as a scientist, like how do you understand miracles? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, miracles – you know, um, I guess, I guess the way I understand science is that science tells us how the world works in the absence of supernatural intervention, but it doesn't tell us so much whether or not supernatural intervention is possible in, in hmm. the first place. Um, I think really part of the issue with miracles comes down to the, the, the question of, of what is the worldview that we're like looking at this? What is the lens, right? That we're looking at the world through. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back to the, 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 um, confusing discussion about quantum mechanics that we had where, um, you know, if, if the universe, if the laws of nature are all that exist, right. If atheism is true, these laws of nature are all that exist, then miracles definitely are going to be impossible because if, if, if all that exists is the laws themselves, how is anything going to come in from outside the laws and like break, break them somehow. Um, Mm -hmm. but if God exists, then, well, first of all, there's something, there's someone who could break into, break into our world. And if our world is really best viewed as some sort of cosmic narrative, then I think that what we should expect is that there will actually be times sort of in the, in the climactic moments of this story that we're all a part of where God does break in. And I think that's what we really see in the miracles of Jesus. You know, if you try to understand the miracles of Jesus as kind of just random spontaneous breakdowns of the laws of nature, it makes no sense, right? Like mm-hmm. that, how unlikely that randomly miracles would just happen all around this one guy, this one time. (laughs) But if you understand that Jesus is like the hero of the human story, if you understand that his miracles aren't actually like a breakdown of the laws of nature, but actually a a restoration of the way to the world, to the, the, sorry, not a, not a breakdown of the way that the world is supposed to be, but a restoration of the world to the way that it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. without sickness or uh, evil or death. Um, then Jesus' miracles really make a lot of sense. So I think that that's kind of the, the key thing is, is Jesus' miracles don't work on an atheistic worldview, but that's not, no, no one ever said they did, right? The, the key is that Jesus' miracles really, I think, make sense 
from a Christian worldview, out of the Christian story mm. uh, of what the world is. Lots to think about. Man, there's so many more questions <laughs> I want to ask, Tom. Gosh, my head's just spinning. Um, well, let's let's talk about then, maybe if, as we wrap up, like how how we're to read scripture. Yeah. Um, if if we're if we're going to uh, see, I think I think a lot of listeners are hearing kind of how y- your understanding of the mystery and complexity and lack of answers to questions has led you to want to be a scientist, mm-hmm. not move away from science, mm-hmm. but move towards it. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder then if we could turn our attention to scripture. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people were taught to read scripture in a way that wasn't, didn't comport with the kind of literature scripture is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're taught to, they're taught to treat it, uh, read it as like an algebraic kind of um, manual. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, help us for those of us listening who want to learn to love, to read scripture again, or are looking for a different way. How do you approach scripture and how does that, what, what, what kind of convictions do you bring to what the book is trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. And first of all, let me, let me say, you know, this is definitely like outside of my field of expertise. Like I know, I know physics, I'm not like a theologian <laughs> and I'm not a, an e- expert on the new Testament or the old Testament or anything, but I, I guess, you know, I, I can share with that qualification, I can share my, my perspective, which is, I, I think for me, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of scripture that I'm kind of confused about. There's a lot of things I'm not really sure of, but um, I, I think what kind of opened it up and has helped me to understand, understand scripture is, you know, when you ask the question of, of like what lens, who's like, how are we supposed to read this? I, I think for me, I kind of came to the conclusion, like, I, I think that probably like Jesus's lens is, is the right way to try to understand scripture because you know you look at Jesus and and there's no doubt he had like an incredible um reverence for scripture like you know like he was quoting it constantly the the devil comes to Jesus Satan comes to Jesus and t- is tempting him and Jesus like quotes scripture at him right um so Jesus like had this in- incredible reverence for scripture and, and yet Jesus also kind of did have this nuanced view of scripture um where you know, he says, like, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this, right? I, you've heard it said uh, that uh, a man can divorce his wife, but I say that, you know, anyone who divorces his wife uh, has committed adultery. You've heard it said, uh, turn the other cheek, but I say you love your enemies. And, and right, the kind of Jesus has this understanding that all of these, like, commands, all of what's in Scripture is actually, like, kind of a, the first half of a story that's completed in him. Um, that he can kind of stand even above like the Old Testament prophets and, and say that actually, you know, all of these laws, all these things, they're actually pointing to something that's even greater, which is, which is me. Like I'm, I am the real word of God. And, and so I think for me, that's kind of been helpful just in, in, in trying to understand scripture is understanding it as, as some sort of like progressive, you know, that it's not some static thing, but it's that something that actually always has been pointing us. To Jesus. And I think that when I read it that way, I, well, I'm still a bit confused at times, but I think that that's something that like brings me closer to, to Jesus. And I think that yeah. that's really maybe the goal of all of it. Mm. Yeah. It's really helpful. The book again is called Chasing Proof, Finding Faith, a young scientist's search for truth in a world of uncertainty. Tom, uh, the book is really well written and really needed, I think. Um, And just your time with us has been a gift. Mm. Thank you. 
yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been really fun to be here. Um, really, really great insights, I think, on uh, on faith crises and, and physics uh, crises. <laughs> and yeah, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. great to be with you. Ben, uh, explain string theory to me. Go. Um, it is a theory whereby there are strings that hang down uh, from like little laundry lines and um, they cause everything in the universe to wiggle. That's not. I'm pretty right. sure. I'm pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure that's exactly right. We should have asked Tom. If Tom was still here, he would, he would verify. So. Uh, it, it really is uh, fascinating to think about string theory. It's. Um, it's basically that that the that below atoms and protons and quarks like smaller than that all of reality is made up of basically strings that are vibrating right vibrating strings <laughs> which is like what do you mean by that how and do then, you even how does that like, even yeah but but one so of the cool things so about crazy. that is what i think about is like um have you heard those have you heard uh those scientific quotes like your body is 95% empty space. Right, yeah. What, right. what looks like... What looks know, like solid, solid matter stuff. is actually yep. empty space, and then what, what actually makes matter feel like matter is the vi- vibrations between the strings. Yeah, yeah. Or so the, that... Between the particles, I mean, I, I get it all confused. All the so if Tom theories. listens to this, he's going to be like, you guys oh, get a D- minus in undergraduate nothing. physics. <laughs> you learn nothing in that interview. <laughs> no, but... Um, what I'm anyway, that, that's why this kind of stuff uh, fascinates me because I, when I look at reality, yeah. none of that is obvious to me. Right. But if I let myself consider it for a second, like as I look at my desk or my arm, right. I'm like transported into some kind of, uh, you know, scientific jouissance. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like this is so trippy. I, yeah. It's probably like, you know, I've, I've never taken acid. You know, before it's just not something I've done. Yeah, I do know. I do know that. Um, but you know, when people when people go into these psychedelics, they like see everything moving and right. And I wonder if they just tap into strings, tapping tap into the strings. Could be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I find I find it really uh, fascinating as well, and I I feel like I I'm at the risk of like uh, misusing the overlap here that Tom talked about. But I, I do oftentimes think about that um, hmm. uh, as just as it regards, um, I don't know, especially as it regards, I mentioned this in the podcast interview, but um, God's omnipotence, which is, you know, just God's presence with me and just realizing like, yeah, because my, because there's this, I think just the possibility that there's these other dimensions that I can't perceive with my five senses yeah. that exist and might be, I might be like swimming through them, you know, like, and who knows what's in these dimensions. I think that just opens up my imagination a little bit to not that God lives in those dimensions. Cause I don't, I don't, I mean, I think we'd have to say God's not a part of the universe. Right. 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 But just like, because that is potentially possible even within our universe, well, of course it's possible. Mm-hmm. Like when you talk about the way that heaven interacts with earth and yes. God's space interacts with ours. Like we're swimming, we're swimming in God and God is, I'm, I'm more God than not. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm 99% empty space, maybe it's, maybe it's not empty space, you know, maybe, maybe that's, maybe God's there. 
filling the space. Yeah. But anyway, all of that's all of that, and the way that Tom talked about. Um, I really think there's something to how he holds truth mm-hmm. and reality and what he trusts yeah. as a string theory quantum field physicist would be so beneficial to so many Christians I know who had one or two questions or doubts or answers that no longer work. And then they had to throw away their entire faith. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because his work is actually moving him deeper and deeper into unanswerable questions. Right. And even having answers to questions that he thought he could trust, but he does another experiment or another, you know, there's research done and then that answer is no longer sufficient. Right. And he's more and more into what he's doing, not less and less. Right. Right. Like listener, if I could give us that gift, I would. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, you know, I was struck by, you know, I started this Substack recently. We talked about, Mm-hmm. Uh, a while back, but I think the reason that I'm con- fascinated with this concept of anti-fragility, which is what the substack is called, but um, is because that, like the the metaphor that comes to mind when you talk about that kind of faith, where oh, if the Apostle Paul didn't write Second Timothy or you know whatever, then my whole faith falls apart. It's a fragile. It's a very fragile system. It needs a lot of sort of maintenance on the outside of it or it all falls apart. But there's something, there's something perhaps anti-fragile. There's something, um, there's something interesting about a way of holding your faith or your scientific knowledge that what, like when something new comes up and something blows up everything you thought was true before, that actually just makes your faith stronger. It actually just lead, leans you, you more yeah. into the mystery. What if it could? Yeah. What if it could? Yeah. yeah. It, instead of like, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard though, Ben, to be like, well, yeah, great. I would just take that pill or if I could push, <laughs> sure. if I could push yeah. that button into my code, I would yeah. do it. Yeah. So, so it's hard because it probably sounds good to many, yeah. but we don't know how to get there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is. Uh, I, I think it's, it is a, it, it, there is a level at which I think it's just taken, taken steps. I mean, we talk about this in our training, you know, it's mm-hmm. paying attention to, to what are the kairoses? What are the, and for us, that word just means inner noticings, just like notice, notice how I'm reacting to things and just have enough wherewithal to step back one step from it and just say, Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on here for me. And, um, I think that's probably the only way to get into that kind of posture of holding our faith. So, yeah. Anyway, well, Christy's not here again. So you've said before, Matt, that, um, you only like to tell jokes when Christy's here. Is I it because I'm a bad audience? I don't. Well, you, you're not great. I mean, <laughs> I think it's because we spend a, I think it's because there's two reasons. Yeah. I think because uh, even after a year and a half of doing this, uh-huh. Christy is still not expecting a joke. Yeah. Which fun. That is, fun. is such a perfect picture of her personality. Yes. Um, if you yeah, ever hurt Christy, I'm yeah. coming for you. Because she's, I really am. Like, it's okay to blindside her with a joke, but if you blindside her with, uh, you know, injury, moral injury or harm, I'm coming Betrayal. Don't do it. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is, Ben, it's kind of like a, I don't know, you and I spent a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm constantly dropping just gold, comedy Mm. gold Mm. all around you Mm. on your head. And uh, I had the similar thing with my wife. Uh, It's Mm. a really tough crowd sometimes. Yeah. When you're constantly funny, uh, people... um, (laughs) (laughs) And people people, don't laugh. Yeah. And people don't laugh or they just get sick of it. So... Yeah, other, other, other people might start to question whether or not they're funny, but not you. Heck not no. you, Matt. P- pearls and swine and such. Then. <laughs> confidence. <laughs> There's a lot of confidence there. Look, unwarranted, uh, but if good on you. So, but I, mm. as a white Christian man, if I can't have <laughs> unmerited confidence yeah. in yeah. myself, then what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's it's uh, it's all we it's got. My left. birthright. It's all we got left. <laughs> Oh, All right, man. let's get out of here before we oh, uh, man. get some hate get mail. Into trouble. That, uh, that yeah. email again is ben at gravityleadership.com. No, no, no. yeah. <clears throat> Remember who said it. Remember who said it. <laughs> All right, y'all. See you next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.